Hey folks, uh, it's June 26th at the day that I am uh, releasing this podcast and I am happy to say that uh, a lot has come back from the fire. I have a studio space where I am seeing clients by appointment only now. If you've been waiting for a reading, uh, you can either come see me in person in Toronto or we can do a Skype or phone business to make that happen. And I am finalizing the details for a late July uh, soft reopening of the store. And I'm expecting to be fully back up in business sometime in September. So I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting this. And uh, one of the things that's also coming back to life is this podcast. I have a bunch of episodes already queued up and ready to roll. And the Patreon will be swinging back to life as well. So if you are not already supporting it, go check out the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Welcome to another installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I am hanging out today with Lonnie Scott. And uh, I know Lonnie oh, from the internet, from tarot community, from all sorts of different places. Um, and not that long ago, for me even being a guest on his show, Weird Web Radio. Um, but for folks who don't know who you are, Lonnie, what, what, are you, what are you up to? What are you doing spiritually these days? Oh, boy. <laughs> what, what am I not doing spiritually these days? Uh, for most people who may not know that personal side of me, I'm a heathen, uh, meaning I generally practice within uh, reconstructed, re-idealized uh, paganism practices inspired by uh, Northern Europe and ancient Northern European practices. But I'm more of, if you want to call it what we call the down and dirty title, uh, chaos heathen. Uh, okay. And chaos heathenry is something that was started by the guys at the L has a blaze website and blog many years ago. I found my way to them just trying to navigate to something within heathenry that wasn't just religious. I don't feel like I have this strict sort of religious practice. I'm more interested in magic and sorcery and how those things work, but within frameworks that resonate to me. Mm-hmm. And heathenry's always spoken to me that way. Um, essentially, we are chaos magicians who mm -hmm. found a spiritual home in heathenry. You know, um, Jason Miller coined something not too long ago called chaonimism. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I thought this is the term that applies really well to the way we think, especially myself, within that chaos heathen sort of framework. You know, we, we're seeking the, the real results of practice and, and trying to find what it is that works and, and the sort of tech that we can plug into and apply to our lives. At the same time, recognizing that spirit is real and it doesn't require my permission or my belief to exist. It's really there, if that makes sense does for sure. I've just uh, pulled up the, uh, the thing from Jason. Uh, Chaonimism, noun. An approach that combines the wild freedom, focus on results, and non-hierarchical view of reality inherent in chaos magic with a belief in spirits as organized consciousness not dependent on belief. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that uh, I think that it's such an interesting distinction, right? This this question of, um, uh, you know, well, I, I actually have no question about it, but I think that the dialogue about it has been interesting, and is always interesting when people come to it. Um, which is, you know, are spirits real, right? Where do they exist? How do they exist? You know, and for me, um, I've pretty much always approached them as discrete entities with no no you know no reliance on me right they they have they have a life of some sort extraneous to to me entirely and you know we just bump into each other you know if i'm lucky at the appointed times you know or when i when mm-hmm. i make the the appropriate uh phone call you know so yeah, yeah i think you know we're kind of um in a sense for we are that spiritual being we're embodied as spirits if you buy into that framework uh, so you're a spirit too, just along with all these other spirits that are surrounding us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not better or worse than any of those that exist. We're just existing on sort of a different framework or a different vibrate or a different vibrations, I guess, if you want to take it that way. Mm-hmm. So why, why is the uh, non-religious side of that important to you? Or what, do, what does that mean in terms of your, your practice in your life? Yeah, I, my practice isn't centered around um, devotions. Okay. I guess it's the really the only distinction I can come up with that, that makes any sort of sense. I'm not setting up permanent altar temple structure type relationships to any deities or, mm-hmm. or, or trying to come up with specific philosophies or, dictate practice or anything around particular uh, God-sized spirits, if you will. So, uh, and then in that light, um, I'm not so religious, uh, but I do on the same token have these relationships with different gods and goddesses uh, within the heathen framework and without. uh, Mm -hmm. And And, Oh, go ahead. Well, and so, I mean, Heathen's always a word that people I I I see around, and I feel like I sometimes struggle to articulate what it means clearly, though myself. So, what, sure. what does what does heathenism mean to you? You know, or how would you define that word? Sure, um, heathenry is just kind of a general umbrella kind of term. It's similar to pagan in that fashion. It can cover a lot of different styles and approaches and practices that fall under that category. A heathen is a, is a more specific general term <laughs> mm-hmm. that, um, again, it, it covers things that are being reconstructed or inspired by ancient Northern European practices going out through Germanic lands, Scandinavia, Iceland, Anglo-Saxon sort of practices. And there are different, different specific, religions that fall under that umbrella depending on what area and region people are being inspired by so so it's more it's more at least for you about the the geography where it comes from or the collection of spirits where it comes from i guess by sheer accident uh it's associated with the geography because that's where the ideas come from Mm -hmm. but for me it's more about the ideas it's not about the land or the places that these uh, the, these original ideas sort of sprung up. 
my interest. I was, was going to say your, your accent doesn't sound Northern European to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my appeal to heathenry is more about the concepts that are inherent inside of it. Um, things like a hospitality and reciprocity being important, the land spirits being an important part of honoring them, um, honoring your ancestors, and then going at a deeper, more mystical level, talking about the Norns at the center of all things, um, the tree and the well being central elements of the cosmology. Mm. And the, the more I dig into it, the more I go about the list, you know, it's, it's less and less and less and less about gods and goddesses to me. And it's more about these concepts and how I relate to the world, have my relationship with the people, the land, uh, the spirits that I work with. And mm-hmm. so on. It's, it's more of um, a philosophy and a theology and a worldview in that sense. Yeah, I think that's more accurate. It's more of a, a mindset and a worldview than it is a religion, mm-hmm. at least in my practice. Sure. So how, how did you find your way to, to the Norse or, or Northern European deities and worldview then? Oh, by accident, like all things. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, remember, you, you had your accident, I had mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, really, uh, when I was a teenager, I started exploring into different uh, parts of paganism and the occult. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I tell people I wasn't raised to be anything. My parents weren't religious. They, they weren't forcing me to attend any churches on Sundays. We, yep. my sister and I weren't baptized, you know, we were just left to be whatever it is we were going to be. Uh, but sometime around the age of 12 or 13, I got interested in all things spiritual and I started checking out books at the library, asking questions of people who are around, um, by the time I'm 15 or 16, I've probably read most of, you know, what Scott Cunningham stuff was on the bookshelves and sure. uh, started digging into Crowley's uh, different material he provided. Um, there, there really wasn't much available when I was a teenager in the nineties, early nineties. Uh, but then I, re- I meet some friends and um, all in one swoop. <laughs> it's funny. One friend on one hand says, you know, I think I found the perfect book for you. And he hands me Lieber Nolan Psychonaut. He says, I've read through this. I think it's crazy. I can't even put my wrap my head around it, but I think it's, it's definitely for you. And he was right. <laughs> it was definitely for me is exactly what I was looking for. All in the same time, another friend within a day or two of this incident is, um, really getting interested in runes and he's got um, Futhark by Edward Thorson. He's got um, some of Kiev Dolph Gunderson's early stuff, Teutonic religion, Teutonic magic. Uh, and he's got this big goal in mind. He wants to end up on the high read of the troth and uh, he starts studying this stuff and he, I, I'm, I'm just borrowing books from him. So I, I sort of find my way to, um, modern esoteric rune practices, right? Mm -hmm. Through Futhark. And then I've got Lieber Nolan Psychonaut in in my other hand. And this, these two books sort of form the foundational practice of what propelled me forward into heathenry and the occult both. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I went through a, a period of time where I was very interested in runes 
Um, you know, I, yeah, back when with time frame, I was in art school, so like you know, back in the early early nineties ish. You know, I was very interested in them and so on, and was doing a lot of uh, using them for a lot of magic. And uh, I even uh, I even made some brands and did some branding work on myself as part of uh, creating permanent protection work and stuff like that. So it was very back back in my my body modification and piercing interested days and stuff like that. So yeah, very much I get that that kind of chaotic like. Uh, not not chaotic in the sense of like unstructured, but like that open ended. Like, what can I do with this stuff? Where can I put it to work? How can I, how can I work this in a way that makes sense to my whole self? Well, sure, that's right. And um, you know, when I'm I'm looking at the back over time at this, I've got uh, in Libra Null, you've got the instruction manual for creating sigils and, and starting to work sigil magic and how to adopt different uh, mindsets to apply magic to get results. On the other hand, I've got a book about runes and these really angular shapes that, you know, they, they look like they want to do something more than just write, you know, inherently the aesthetic of them appeals. And when you start creating bind runes, bringing different runic forces together, they, they're a much more uh, magical looking thing to me than just creating a sigil the way it's taught in chaos magic. Sure. But they're, I think they're working on the same principle. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I think it's kind of like, you know, you can have, you can have a bunch of wood and some nails and some hammer and you can make anything you want. Mm -hmm. You have some Lego that locks together in a really easy structure. Right both ways mm-hmm. you can make a thing, you know? Um, and I think that the bind runes and the runes themselves have that sort of ease of interconnection that really does lend itself to that kind of process. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the more you, and, and this goes back to like, you know, you were talking about how did I get into heathenry? How do I explore yeah. further into heathenry? The more you study the runes uh, the, in a modern esoteric framework, you know, we're, you're essentially looking at how, what, what do these runes mean? And most of that modern framework is based on the elder Futhark. And we, we know what they mean because of the, the diligent work of academics who have reconstructed proto Germanic. So we can have an idea of what these runes all say on runestones that dot the landscape. But for you, if you're a practicing heathen or you're trying to use runes for magic or divination, you know, what what does Fehu actually mean for you on a magical or divinatory purpose? It can mean fee, cattle, money, and you can leave it at that. But if you really want to dig deeper into runes, you can't help but sort of fall into these deeper heathen ideas because you you ask yourself, well, what did a what did cattle mean to the people who came up with this symbol? Yeah. What what was the concept of money and this idea of fees? And then you you find your way to the rune poems, and you start finding your way to the, the eddas and the stories that hold the mythic tale of the people who came up with this whole symbol set to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it, it it enriches what you can do with the runes on one hand, but like I said, you you just kind of fall into these ideologies and worldviews 
if you're willing to actually look deeper into what these things are. Mm-hmm. So I'm certainly not going to ask you to, uh, to stand for everybody who uses these things, but I've also seen a lot of stuff kind of creeping in around some kind of more extreme people who are, you know, using runes and Norse stuff for, you know, racist ideas and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, I don't even know what the question I have for you around that is like, but you know, I, I guess I'll go, what, what do you think about that? What do you, do you think that that's in any way inherent in this structure? Um, you know, what, what do you, what do we do about this? You know, like where people are, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of uh, from my point of view as someone outside of those kinds of traditions, uh, co-opting something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, all right, let's dig in. Let's do we? it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, I'm on the high read of the Troth. Uh, it's an international inclusive heathen organization. I'm also the steward of Illinois for the same uh, organization. Yeah. We make inclusive a distinction because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. When modern heathenry was reborn in the minds of people in America, uh, it, it, it had gotten its rebirth in a way earlier in Iceland. Uh, but when it, it relaunched itself somehow in America, uh, it came with a stain from the very beginning. Mm. Uh, this, this sort of romantic notion of the Viking as this sort of road warrior today. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that this is somehow a tradition or a religion that should only be ethnically attached to uh, European descendants. Mm. Uh, So you'll start, you'll start to see different factions split over time over what, how deeply they adhere to those ideas. So on one hand, you've got people like me and the troth who are what we call inclusive, meaning that regardless of your sexuality, your gender, your ethnicity, uh, your physical, mental abilities, your economic status even, none of these things are important for you to enter a heathen practice or get to know more about heathen worldviews or join the troth or any of that, right? Uh, On the other hand, you have other organizations who – say it's um, for, they call themselves folkish, and usually that means that uh, they want you to be descended from Northern European countries. And what they mean by that is they want you to be white. Right. Uh, I don't know how else to to spin that other than they just want you to be white and, and they mean folkish as in the word like folk, which means people, right? Like from the people as opposed to like, like folk practice. Is yes. That, they, they, usually when they're saying focus, they're folk, they're talking about of the people, yeah. these specific sorts of people trying to set it up in, in a more tribal sort of, and have boundaries is mm-hmm. their argument. You, when you see, like you were saying, you see these people who are using runes and other heathen idealists that are occupying some pretty, far right 
not so good ideas, at least as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a call. <laughs> it's, it's all not, it's, let me stutter over my words. None of this comes from a culture in history that was closed off to um, welcoming the stranger or the other into their mm-hmm. communities. Uh, we get, we come back to those ideals of hospitality and, and, and being both a good guest and a good host mm. uh, in a climate where you had to have those sorts of ideas for, for people to survive. But even then we, we have evidence and stories of people who are um, where they freely adopt others into their, their tribes or their families. Uh, none of that comes up as an issue of they're not really part of this family. They're not really part of this tribe. Once you're adopted, you're, you're in, you know, it's, it's a matter of what you can do, not what you look like, Mm -hmm. not even probably what you believe. It's just comes down again to one of those classic heathen sort of phrases. You know, we are our deeds. You are what you do. Uh, and, And nothing else should really matter. The least of which the color of your skin, which is one of the most ridiculous uh, notions that I think uh, should be attached to anything heathen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there, is there an effort or is there a a consideration or, or does this even make sense as a question like within the group, but like, you know, cause I've, I've seen people, you know, people I know, avoid avoid posting and being involved in runic stuff you know because of because of its association with some of these far-right people and they're like i just don't even i don't even want to be associated with it you know i might have a personal practice but i i don't even bring that out because i don't even want people to misunderstand you know where i'm at or what i'm about with this you know in in your organization or or for from your point of view um, you know, uh, is there, is there something, something to be done to sort of, uh, delineate these things to sort of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> re-reclaim, you know, <laughs> organize away from these sort of pieces? Yeah. Well, I mean, f- first the reclaiming, Right. The the argument usually hinges on this is our culture, not theirs. Mm. So the people who would want to bar entry from anyone based on ethnicity are making the argument that there's this living culture that they're the descendant of. And you, whether you're black, brown, Chinese, or anything else, you have your own traditions to go out and find. That's the argument that they make, and that you should go out and find those arguments. Right. They're, they're more about segregation in a way than they are sort of some, some supremacist idea. Mm. You know? But <laughs> heathenry is not a cultural uh, inheritance. It's not a living tradition mm. that came down through the generations. Uh, the ancient heathen cultures that inspire modern practices are dead and they're gone. Hmm. And that there's, there's a thousand years of Christianity and other forms of Abrahamic religions more than likely and little folk practices, of course, between us and the last heathen sure. who was 
who was living pre-conversion times. That there, there's nothing there to living inherent or it's inherit. Like, it's like if you want to uh, if you want to call up Zeus and talk, try and you know do some work with Zeus or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's no living legacy of that. Practice right, continues to today. Right. There's that yeah, big disruption. <laughs> not only is there no yeah, not only is there no like. Um, direct line through generations. There are hundreds of years of broken connection there. Yeah. So it's all a re, it, it's 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 a revisioning. It's a reawakening. It's a rebuilding through different ideas and what's important. And and it we have that ability to look at it in a sort of bigger picture and and take what's the best of what we can know about their ideas and bring that forward without including any baggage or bullshit that's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even then that, that ethnic closing of a door to people, I just don't think is something that they would have recognized or accepted as part of their own way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure they had their own barriers to entry to their families and their clans and their tribes. uh, But I very, highly doubt it had a thing to do with skin. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, are there, you asked, are there ways to, you know, offer alternatives or combat this? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Troth is an organization that works very, very hard to do that. Um, we do it by providing publications and resources to people who are interested in heathenry that are one based on real and solid scholarship uh, two, uh, effective modern practice, and three, um, inclusive, being honest about what who, what we expect and who we are, mm. uh, that, that there's nothing that's going to bar you from being part of it, what it is that we do. And uh, last year, I decided to use social media as a way to... Um, or to put a, more of a face on inclusive heathenry. And it's funny, you were talking about, uh, you know, people who are reluctant to publicly say that they use runes or something or get involved in groups that are more akin to runes mm-hmm. because of those associations with, you know, less desirable people uh, or ideologies. And um, I had I had a conversation with a guy who was basically confessing the same things to me, saying, look, I've got this deep, passionate uh, relationship with Odin and Freya from the Norse pantheon and the mysteries that surround them. And in my own trance work, the things that I'm discovering in my own relationship are amazing. And I want to write them down. I want to share them with the world but I'm gay and I'm black mm-hmm. and I can't. I mean, he really felt like because he's gay and he's black, he can't share what he's discovering in his own journey and his own path with these two specific, you know, divine forces. And <laughs> hearing him say that broke my heart because here I'm having a conversation with a guy who is one of the most brilliant occult practitioners I've ever had the conversation you know, the honor to talk to in my life. Mm-hmm. And he knows who he is. He knows he inspired this movement even. Um, so I got to thinking about it. How do I, 
how do I work harder to make sure that that door is open to people like him, that he's not afraid to walk through that. Uh, the fact that he's scared or reluctant to, or anyone else for that matter, I think weakens and cheapens the growth and the movement of modern heathenry. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the more great minds and the more practitioners that we have with these different backgrounds and different different ideas that they bring to the table can only enrich our own practice. So I started this thing. It's just, it's a hashtag know your heathens Hmm. and hashtag inclusive heathenry attached to it. And you can search those on Facebook is mostly where it's been happening. Um, And just asking people, put a picture of yourself up on Facebook or anywhere else in social, social media, include these hashtags and tell people that, you're a heathen and you'll accept anyone into heathenry regardless of gender and race and ethnicity and sexual Mm. orientation and so on. And I've, I've been very pleasantly surprised by how many people are willing to take that stand and just, and just let people know that the door is not locked. It's not even closed. And here we are, we're going to stand here and hold it open for you. Yeah. Uh, And you know, I already know that there's criticism of this idea, even sort of from my own camp saying, you know, there, I don't, I don't, and you don't have any divine right to say who can, who can and can't come to the gods, right? It's all about honoring the gods properly and so on. But I also think that at, I, I can't pretend that the world isn't what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a straight white man who practices heathenry. I can walk into any heathen gathering in the world. And if I don't open my mouth and share my thoughts or bring that, uh, a friend who doesn't fit the straight white man mold, uh, no one's going to question my presence there. Mm, Yeah all those heathen doors are open to me, no matter what extremist idea those, those groups hold, because I look the part. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'll take that sort of privilege of looking the part and open the doors as wide as I can to make sure that people who don't look the part, the way these more extremist factions want uh, can find their way to it as well. That's great. I think that that, I think that that, you know, falls to all of us, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the more privilege we have, the more it falls to us as to make sure that we do what we can to to take steps in those directions for sure. So I think that's yeah. fantastic. Thank um, you. Yeah. I, I, I hope people continue in that direction, you know, and lots of people continue in that direction and, and in whatever other ways make sense to continue to open those doors because it's always been my experience that, um, I'm sh- I'm sure there are spirits that that care a lot about place or family lines or or other things, you know. But mm-hmm. it's never been my experience that that I've run into a spirit who's like or run in, you know, run into like traditional practitioners even in sort of living lineages who are like, "Oh, you're not you're not from here or you're not from my you know, from my group, therefore you can't be involved. You know, it's, it's, I've never, I've never run into that anywhere, you know? And so I think these, these 
other people who are fronting that, you know, I mean, it's, it's not coming from the spirit side, you know, it's coming from, you know, all the, all the crappy, horrible things that that comes from. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And you know, it, it gets to the idea of ancestry as well. I mean, a core concept of heathenry is honoring and venerating your ancestors. That, that doesn't mean that you have to take a laser focused microscope on a specific region of the world within a specific set of decades mm-hmm. and say, those are my ancestors. Sure. But have you ever looked at a family tree? <laughs> yep. Have you done the, the sheer math on how many people resulted in you uh, that you, you had a whole lot more ancestry covering a lot more territory and not just from that region, you know, uh, it, it backs up into previous ages and, mm-hmm. and people move and they migrate and cultures blend and mix. And even religions are much more syncretic in ancient times than they are these dogmatic solid approaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, even today, Christianity, you've got a, what a 2000 year unbroken lineage, something that all pagans would love to have. Right. But there's a, I can look out my window. There's a Catholic church three blocks away over that direction. <laughs> there's a Baptist church four blocks away in that direction. Neither of them agree on a lot of principles of their own religion, but they use the same Holy text. Yeah. So, you know, the idea that there's this unbroken sure way to do it is, is, is funny to me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, that thing about ancestors, you, if that's your sole argument for being part of heathenry, as an example, um, just be honest and say, you have this uh, super hyper focused love of uh, a specific place and time because it's a, poor representation of ancestors as a, as a whole. Well, you know, and, and so in my tradition, right, we have, um, we have, uh, an, our notion of ancestors, Egun. Um, it includes your bloodline for sure. Right. The people who actually genetically contribute to your, you know, your presence on the earth. Um, but it also includes your initiatory lines, and they're and they're seen and the word means both, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, I think that there are there are definitely different ways to to have familial bonds, you know, and to you know, and you know, we talked about hospitality and so on, and to be welcomed into that family, you know, because I think that that's one of the things when we find our group of spirits or our, our group of ancestors or whatever. In that broader sense, we we do become ideally a part of that connection you know, both in terms of receiving the blessings and owing obligations and, and all of that, you know, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important. Um, you know, you're talking about family. Bloodlines are important. Sure. You know, you honor the, the, the ancestors of, I call them ancestors of blood and bone. Those people mm-hmm. who, who literally genetically results in you. But again, you're talking about, thousands of people throughout time yeah. uh, and, and various traditions and various cultures and different values all throughout the generations uh, and, and families bigger than blood. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 
I would wager most people listening to this are closer to some of their friends than they are some of their own siblings and, and would give more to them for that. And I'm sure, I'm sure almost everybody has that, that aunt or uncle who's not actually related, but was just so close to the family, right? Yeah. And then, you know, you, if you research your ancestry, like I have, uh, you're inevitably going to find someone who is adopted or, uh, or something of that fashion isn't actually someone of blood and bone coming down generation, generation to you. They were adopted into the family or they came into the family by some other means that still results in you somehow, but, they're not actually blood related. Mm-hmm. You know, in my practice, ancestors are an even bigger scope than that. You know, mm-hmm. you have ancestors of place, uh, those the people who are important to the history of the, where you actually live and do your work. Mm-hmm. You know, ancestors of tradition, like you were talking about, who have yeah. made, uh, made your, your practices possible today in some way or form. Uh, mm-hmm. And, <laughs> it's just it's so much more than what um than what some of those um folkish type heathens would like to box sure. it into so is the idea of because you know maybe because i've watched too many movies <laughs> you know <laughs> uh or or like hbo specials or whatever but like is the idea of like being a warrior relevant to heathenism that, that no. piece, or is that just uh, again a pocket that like a limited number of people have sort of emphasized i I think it's a pocket that a limited number of people have emphasized um, it's it's easy to do that when you get the most of the surviving lore that we have uh, comes from the sagas and the eddas that were written down post conversion near the Viking period, you know, and there's a, there's an awful lot of conflict going on back in, back in the time that these are written down or the time that the stories come from, of course, uh, people are moving all over the world. Uh, Tribal conflict is occurring. Uh, One local chieftain becomes bigger chieftain <laughs> scoops up everybody on the farms and they go raiding and he wants to be bigger King and so on and so on and so on. This isn't something that's even restricted to just, you know, heathen areas. That's just how the world sure. worked and See the even argue still works that way. We just don't call it the same things. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I just, there are people who are of course, who are inspired, I guess, to be soldiers or pursue a life in the military because of heathenry. Uh, it's, it's certainly not um, frowned upon. Mm-hmm. It, it fits into some of the mold. You know, you have gods and goddesses that are associated with war and victory. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not, you know, have people who are inspired by that and pursue that. But that is certainly not all that, that, these gods and goddesses, these uh, the, the worldview is associated with. Again, I would point to ideas of the tree, the world tree that's connecting all the, the, the worlds and the mysteries that you could explore therein. Mm. Uh, the well that holds all that is and was and ever will be and explore the mysteries therein. What are the norms? What do they really mean? Uh, how can I apply hospitality to my life 
what does reciprocity mean? What is a right relationship with the world around me? And uh, none of that has to do with, has to be anything at all about war or fighting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how those, uh, how, you know, there are all these different ideas, right. You know, it's like, uh, like so many ideas around my tradition, you know, people, especially people who hear about Santeria, right. And, you know, they just think of it as like witchcraft that's going to help them get their lover back or, you know, whatever. When in mm-hmm. fact there's whole religious living tradition around everything to do with life as opposed to just sort of this one very particular sort of, you know, limited notion about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are, in a tradition that, or I guess in traditions such as heathenry where everything that we're building on, uh, even to, to get our inspiration for what we're going to do today comes from, uh, things that were written down by Christians well after conversion inspired of course, by their ancestors uh, wanting to share those stories the surviving oral traditions for whatever reason that make it into whatever we have left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still ultimately were written down post conversion by Christians. Uh, so, you know, you, you have to, you have to sort of take a uh, an honest view of those things and explore everything, you know, archaeology and uh, what are the latest academics and scholars discovering on their end. Mm-hmm. And of course, balance that out with your own personal practices and how you transform that into a living tradition. Uh, just a random thought, you know, <laughs> uh, talking about those sagas and the, the Eddas and everything that was written down by those Christian hands. Um, Every American knows the story of Paul Revere, right? I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people do. The midnight ride of Paul Revere, one if by land, two if by sea, during the Revolutionary War. That's how they, they were going to let them know the British are coming. And, mm-hmm. and he's just this revered folk hero from, you know, a couple hundred years ago, the early formation of the United States in the war against Britain for independence. But what people don't realize is here's a story in a living culture that everything is written down. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's no oral uh, block of hundreds of years in which you've got to worry about what gets remembered properly and putting your own twist on it and everything. Everything is written down. And growing up as a kid, everybody was told the story of Paul Revere. Uh, what people don't realize, though, is... Paul Revere sort of falls into this cultural memory because his name rhymed best with the story. The poet who was telling his story Mm -hmm. came up with, there were many more writers that were out to notify all the villages and towns the British were coming. In fact, Paul Revere, (laughs) according to the sources I've read, um, was actually captured and was the worst one at his job notifying everyone the British were coming. So you, you take that as an example of, again, a living culture, mm-hmm. a folk hero, even a legend. Everything is written down generation, generation, and even taught in schools when you're young and the story is not true. Right. If his name had been Paul McGregor, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't have made <laughs> 
Yeah, Paul McGregor was probably better at it than he was. <laughs> well, he was he was done his work and down the pub enjoying a pint, you know. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, that's why I I just don't take a hard line approach to any of this. Mm. Uh, ultimately, because it, we we can't always be sure about how much uh, one how much we actually received that's accurate, and two even on the things that are accurate and we can verify that are accurate. It's so little of it that you can't, you can't rebuild a real thing out of just that. You have to do comparative work with other mythology and other traditions and so on mm-hmm. to, to put sure. it all together. And my own practice is more focused on magic and sorcery. I want to do trance work and I want to do divination and I want to, you know, I want to use, magic to get results in my life for the things that I need in the world right now. And I want to communicate with spirits and Mm -hmm. I'm telling you right now, the instructions for all of that are pretty not existent. (laughs) Right. (laughs) In a heathen framework. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So where, where are you borrowing those instructions from? Is it from, from Peter Carroll? Is it from, you know, where, where, where are you pulling those instructional pieces in to, to create that, that for yourself in this heathen framework? Excellent question. Yeah. It it starts with Peter Carroll, Lee Renault, of course, and working through um, all of that material. I approached that like a kid who was starving. I just discovered McDonald's for the first time. Mm. (laughs) It was wonderful. And that led to Phil Hine and his early work, Mm -hmm. uh, which was fun. Uh, It it took a a much less serious approach to chaos magic than, than Carroll was taking, uh, which was, it was a nice balance with that. Um, and then, you know, in that time you'd get online and there's different Yahoo groups, uh, mm-hmm. like the X. Um, that was one of my favorites. And then, uh, the chaos matrix it's still online today, a deposit of articles to help the, the budding chaos magician get their start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you, you just experiment and you, you explore, like I said, you explore outside of other traditions and other things. I found my way to tarot mm-hmm. and learning and becoming, uh, falling in love with tarot and, and enriching my spiritual practice with that uh, helps inform everything that I do. It has this rippling effect across all of it. Mm-hmm. And I get better at divination in general and my intuition develops stronger and you know, you do, you learn different things. And I don't know. Over time, uh, honestly, uh, by the time I got to L has a blaze finding that website in around 2007, um, I was sort of frustrated. I kept running into too many of those sort of heathen groups or people that held those folkish ideas and I just didn't resonate with them. Mm -hmm. They weren't my kind of people. Uh, until I found L has a blaze, I didn't even know, for sure if there were heathens out there who were super involved in magic and in trying to do things with it. Uh, and about that same time I started finding Jason Miller's stuff mm-hmm. and found my way into strategic sorcery. I took his course. Uh, and again, it has this profound rippling effect across my personal life and my practice. And, you know, I just, I go where I try to focus all of my pursuits in the places where I see people getting the results. Mm. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a really important thing, right? I think that if we're gonna if we're gonna bother to do magic, then we really need to um, we need to really get results, right? Like otherwise, why bother? It's a lot of work most of the time. If yeah, you're not get something from it. So, yeah, one thing I know true about magic, it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I know true about magic is it doesn't work the way I want it exactly or even most of the time so either it's not like electricity you can't just plug into it and get everything that you want out of it mm-hmm. or i'm a shit magician and i choose to believe in myself so <laughs> <laughs> i i'm gonna go with it's it's a much more subtle sort of thing that we mm-hmm. tap into and our influence probably plays with you know probabilities more than it produces profound effects mm. although i can't help but wonder sometimes if those profound effects are, are are available to us we just haven't figured it out i know i haven't well i i think it was i think it was in one of peter carroll's books where he talks about uh you know sort of uh divine over the short term uh, on a shorter term and work magic on a longer term to get the best combination of results you know so yeah, um, <laughs> I saw one time, I th- I'm pretty sure it was Peter Carroll from years ago who suggested that you should do um, divination to try to communicate with yourself in the future. Mm. See if you're going to get the results from the work before you do the work. Mm-hmm. It's not my thing, but uh, I'm, I'm so it's curious. a similar sort of idea. Yeah, I'm so curious which, which runes your future self would send you in divination to indicate the success on a, a particular work, you know, <laughs> how, how, how would you know that it was a, a correct, you know, correct? right. Cause I'm always no, like, I... you know, when, when, when you work with manual divination cards, runes, whatever, right. They have no choice to, but to answer. So we can't assume that there is an actual connection going on, right? Even, you know, when we, when I divine with coconut with the Orishas, unless I'm feeding them certain things, you always have to ask if they're actually there first, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, but I'm like, what would, what, what, how, what would you set up as your, your own, um, you know, kind of like thumbs up. It's like people with, with uh, when, when they're, you know, they're, they know they're going to die. They'd be like, if I if I come back and speak to a medium, if they don't say this word, it's not me. You know, that's some of those things, right? Like, how do you how do you yep. set that up with yourself? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> you do bring up an important point there. Um, I I often have this conversation with people in paranormal investigations. I'm really happy to see more people using runes and tarot, especially in paranormal investigations and trying to communicate with spirits just like the rest of us. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the minute you get those runes out or you pull a tarot card, you, you will have an answer, but that doesn't mean you're communicating with something. Yeah. There has to like you're talking, there has to be some sort of established thumbs up, some, Mm -hmm. some pre game decision. Yeah. This is how I know I'm really talking to something otherwise you know that fool card doesn't mean anything other than i pull pulled a card yeah yeah it's it's like when i'm 
you know, divining people are coming in, they're asking if they, they've been cursed, right? You know, I mean, as, as somebody who reads to the public, it's a question that I run across a lot. And, and I'm not dismissive of that question. I think that it's a valid question. Um, I think that the, the answer is generally a lot less than, than many people would think, but nonetheless, it's, it can happen. Um, but like, for me, there are only two cards in the deck that I will take as an affirmative answer to that question when that question is asked. So that's two out of 78. And one of them has to show up in a certain position for me to be like, okay, yes, that's, they're actually saying, yes, this is real, you know? And I think that having, having those clear understandings, you know, like what, what is that, you know, what is that card? That's the, like the future Lonnie speaks card, you know, or whatever, right. <laughs> or future me speaks card. And, and, you know, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really exciting idea. So yeah, I think it's a fun idea to play with. I don't, I don't know how much merit I would give that idea of communicating with future selves, mm-hmm. you know, the, the armchair sort of, I watched a bunch of shows with Mishu Kaku and Brian green. So I know something about science uh-huh. idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know, I know that, that, you know, they suggest that time may not be this arrow that it could be more of a, all time happening now kind of thing in one, mm-hmm. one scenario. So maybe in that situation, if that's true, you could communicate with the future self, but then you get in all these possibilities of multiple futures. And what if you, what if you know something too far ahead? Now you, you just change your mind. So that doesn't matter anymore. How, how much are we locked into fate? What choices yeah. do we have? <laughs> you know, tells, you want, tells us a lot about ourselves once we start thinking about it. Uh huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you want to you want to really hurt your brain. <laughs> yeah, I, I I prefer I prefer to uh, to kind of go in a different direction generally with the uh, future me stuff, which is what what should I do right now that future me will thank current me for having done? You know, that's my my often mode of yeah. operation. You know, and <laughs> that applies to like uh, you know magical stuff for sure, but it also applies to like getting my filing done and being on top of my bookkeeping and, you know, like all sorts of things because it's like, there's nothing like coming up to a thing. Something happened recently. I was going to an event and I was like, Oh man, I can't remember if I ever emailed back the person who I was supposed to stay with. And so I sent them a message saying, I hope it's not too late. I'm really, you know, I'm sorry if I left you hanging. And they're like, no, no, you like six months ago, you said, absolutely. I will be there. So I, I was like, Oh, thanks past me. (laughs) You know, Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, even when I do divination for clients or even myself, uh, I'm not, I don't ever look to see what the future is involved in that. Mm -hmm. That's not how I read. I'm more of a what's at play in your life now kind of thing. I even visually represent that Like with tarot. I can do this. You know, when I shuffle the cards, I shuffle them nine times to represent the nine worlds of heathen cosmology. I split the deck three times to represent the three norns. Mm -hmm. Remove the middle the, the middle pile of that uh, is the cards that I'm going to draw for the reading because I think it represents the norm Verthandi, which is the present, the things that are becoming uh, at play in your world now. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think ultimately that's what's most important to us. You know, you know where you've been and if those things are important, they'll show up or they'll become more clear by the things that are happening now. As for what's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> 
what well, what choices are you going to make you know and you're still going to be susceptible to the choices that other people make too for sure yeah well maybe that's a good point place to leave it hey listeners go do some magic to mitigate the choices of other people and encourage the choices that, that you want to happen and one of the things that, that I would like to encourage for you, the magic of my voice is for people to come and find you online where you're hanging out, you know? So, uh, what, you know, you have your podcast and, and other stuff. Where should people come look for you on the internet? Uh, well, you can absolutely uh, find me at my own show, Weird Web Radio, uh, everywhere you, you get your podcasts. Um, if there's not someplace you can find it, let me know. I'll figure out a way to get it on there. Yeah. Um, at um Offer all of my professional divination services at tarotheathen.com. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Weird Web Radio, and also have a special group for Weird Web Radio fans. Um, if you want to get to know me more personally, uh, I'm I'm game. Uh, I'm just Lonnie Scott on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Beautiful. Well, thank you for for making the time to uh, to be hanging out for this conversation today. I hope having the table turned on you as the uh, as the guest versus the interviewer wasn't uh, too traumatic for you. No, not a problem at all. And just real quick before we get out of here, I talked about El has the blaze quite a bit earlier in the show. Yeah. I wanted to let everyone out there know that uh, we released a compendium of chaos heathenry uh, not too long ago. It's just titled El has a blaze compendium uh, of chaos heathenry. It's a collection of essays from those of us who do that. And I've got an essay in there concerning some of my ancestral practices. So go out and check that out. Yeah. Get your magic on folks. Yeah. Get your magic on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Lonnie. Hey folks. I hope you really enjoyed the episode. Uh, If you're keeping count, that was episode 99, which means 100 is coming up real fast. And it's a real marker. You know, I I never thought that I would produce that many. I never thought that it would be that continuous. And uh, yet it continues to truck along and be a source of uh, joy and inspiration and Uh, To me, obviously, but also to lots of people because I hear lots of great things about it. So uh, do me a favor. uh, When episode 100 comes out, or now, uh, share it somewhere. Tell the world what you've enjoyed about, you know, even if it's just one episode, to help continue to grow this work and to, uh, you know, help continue to feed the process of moving it forward. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, And as always... You can find me at thehermitslamp.com and this podcast everywhere great podcasts live.